Romans chapter 4 this morning. Romans 4. Wasn't that last song for worship amazing? I love that song. All righty. Uh, let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for just the time to be here. Just pray, Lord, as always you would teach, we would listen. Just pray your spirit would guide and direct in all things. Lord, just all for you in your name. Amen. All righty. We're in Romans 4 here this morning. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to uh, finish up Romans 4 and get into the first part here of Romans chapter 5. Now, this message, I just really loved what the Lord had to say. There's some really encouraging passages here in Romans 4. If you haven't been with us as of late, just a real quick review here in our, in our study through Romans. Romans 1 introduces us to the gospel, what the gospel is. Romans 1 then tells us that the Lord uses creation as his greatest witnessing tool for the gospel. But then Romans 1 also tells us that creation has been perverted through sin. And so then Romans 2 and Romans 3 go through this long case on how we're all sinners. All of us. Then once it proves that we're all sinners, it then introduces us this wonderful concept of grace. And how now we're all sinners, but yet we can all be forgiven through Christ Jesus. And so it reveals to us what grace is and what it really means to be saved. Not by what we've done, but by Him alone. And then last week in Romans 4, we talked about two Old Testament characters. Abraham and David. And we talked about how Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. And David was forgiven by faith, not by works. Because the whole point is there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn any type of salvation. All no, the verse that we've been hitting here every week is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, the gift of God. And how it's all him. It's not us. And that's the point that Paul has been trying to make. It's, it's all God, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, not us. Well, what we have here this morning is a transitional chapter. We're going to finish up talking about the idea of grace and salvation through grace alone. But then we're going to get into the subject of faith. And not only faith towards salvation, but just faith towards the difficulties in life. We'll use Abraham as an example of that. So with that being said, let's jump right into this. We're in verse 13 of Romans 4. That's where we left off. Let's see what God has to say this morning. It says, For the promise that he, meaning Abraham, would be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now what's the point that he's trying to make there? Once again, Abraham through faith. That's how Abraham became Abraham. The father of the Jews, it was through faith. There was nothing through what Abraham did. We're going to spend some time here in Genesis. If you could, please turn to Genesis chapter 12. Because I want to prove a point with this. There was nothing that Abraham did that earned any type of good graces with God. It was through faith and faith alone. It could not have been through the law. The law didn't even exist during Abraham's time. Abraham lived a good 600 plus years before the law even came into existence. So there's no way that Abraham could have earned this blessing that God gave him. And that's the picture of what grace is. God giving us something, and we don't deserve it. Genesis chapter 12, please. Look at these first few verses here of Abraham's calling. Verse 1 of Genesis 12, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a great calling. An amazing calling. Now, look at those passages one more time. In the first three verses there of Genesis 12, when Abraham is called, what did Abraham do to deserve this great calling? Nothing. That's the point that Paul was trying to make. Abraham was not called because of what he did. He was called just because God called him. Now, let's make this full circle. You are saved through Jesus Christ, not because of what you did, just because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's the definition of grace. And what we've been talking about recently is two theological terms. One is Jesus and, and the other one is Jesus only. The Jesus and mindset is, oh, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe I'm saved through Christ. And so I'm saved through Jesus and fill in the blank. 
I'm saved through Jesus dying on the cross, and also I've jumped through these religious hoops, which makes me okay. Guys, that's not in there. It's Jesus only. You're saved through Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing you can do to earn any bit of salvation. That's grace. And that's the beautiful picture of what Paul is trying to say here. And then we talked about the last couple weeks how sometimes we feel like, okay, I get that. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. But there was something inherently in me that God saw. He knew that once I would be saved, that I could be such a light and a witness to my family. So that's why God saved me. He knew with the talents and abilities that he'd given me, I could be a real blessing to the body. That's why God saved me. He saw something in me that could be used. No, Jesus looked into your heart and saw sin. See, if we start thinking there was something in us that was redeemable, then salvation is Jesus and me. It's Jesus only. Look through Abraham's calling again here in the first three verses. There's nothing in there but Abraham being worthwhile or worthy. God called him, and it's the beautiful picture of grace. Now, we're going to get to a little bit more about Abraham in a little bit. So to plan ahead, if you've got a bookmark or a piece of paper there, put it in Genesis 17, because we're going to come right back to Genesis here in a little bit. But let's build on this. So he was saved through grace, not through works. There was nothing that he did. And that's the same way it is for us. Let's see what else that Paul has to say here about Abraham. Verse 14 now, Romans 4. Verse 14 of Romans 4. It says, For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For there is no law and there is no transgression. Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace. See, you've got to remember here, what's the purpose of the law once more time? The purpose of the law is to show us that we're sin. That's what it's saying right here. That's the purpose of the law is wrath. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. How it talked about how in Romans chapter 2, the purpose of the law was for you to reveal that you're a sinner. When you go back and you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the purpose of those books are for you to read those books and say, Lord, I can't do this. Seriously, Lord, if this is what you're looking for, if this is the righteousness you want me to obtain, if this is how you want me to be able to live my life, I can't do this. This is impossible for anybody to follow all these rules and regulations and never break one of them. That's where God says in heaven, that's the point. The point is, is for you to know you can't do it on your own. That was the purpose of the law, was to reveal that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner to bring about, as it says in verse 15, wrath. Well, that's kind of not fair, is it? Lord, you set me up to fail. No, he set me up to reveal the failure I already was. He already knew I was a failure. He already knew I was a sinner. He wanted me to become the realization that I was a sinner. I've shared with you before, there are still some people that walk this earth, that don't think they do anything wrong. God has a job there to reveal to them that they are a sinner. So the law revealed the sin to me, and now God says, what are you going to do about it, James? And I put my hands up in the air and says, I don't know, I can't, Lord. I can't, I can't do this. And once again, God says, that's the point. You can't do it. I have to do it for you. Look at verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. Grace. God giving us something we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. But in faith, I believe in the system that God set up there. Verse 16, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The whole point was God did this to show us you're not perfect and then to reveal to you and us that I can save you through Christ. That's the purpose of this all. Now, it's so vital that we get this. This is Christianity at its core. At its core. Because if we don't get this concept, nothing else in the book of Romans matters. Because really, from here on, from verse 17, it changes directions now for a little bit. 
The first really four and a half chapters are just there to introduce you to the gospel, reveal to us that God loves us, reveal to us that we're sinners, and also reveal to us how the sin problem is taken care of through Christ. We've done that. That's what the first four and a half chapters are. But the truth is, if we don't get this, the rest of Romans really just doesn't matter in any way whatsoever. That's why we spend so much time being repetitive again and again and again. We've shared this example with you many, many times. If you're driving home today, what are you going to see probably 10, 15 times on the way home? You're going to see a sign that says what? Speed limit 55. Now, did you really forget? No. The purpose of those signs are there to constantly remind you what the rule and law is. It constantly reminds you. We have to have signs that tell us that there's a stop sign upcoming. We have to have rumble strips on the ground to remind us that there's a sign. We have to have flashing lights to remind us that there's a flashing light coming up. All those things are there to remind us of what is the point of this. So some of you that may be here saying, okay, James, I got the whole grace thing. Can we move on? Obviously, the Lord thought it was important enough to do four and a half chapters of it because he wanted to constantly remind you of grace. If the only thing you get out of today, other than a full stomach once you leave here, is that God loves you in grace, I'm happy about that. I am happy to know that you know that God loves you and that the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. Now, with that mindset, he wants to build on who this Abraham is. Because look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, now it changes a little bit. Paul used Abraham as an example of salvation through faith and grace, and now he talks about Abraham as an example of faith through difficult times in life. You need to know a little bit about the background of Abraham. When those passages that we read back in Genesis 12, Abraham was called when he was 75 years old. 75 years old. I don't know what you ever think about Abraham, but when Abraham comes on the scene, he's not a young man. He's 75. That's how he's called. Well, God gave him this absolutely wonderful promise that you're going to have a child. Think about that. You're going to have a kid. And so now he's going to have a kid at 75. What a neat thing. And so God's got this thing he needs to do with him first. Look here in Genesis 17, passage I had you turn to. Let's just read this a little bit to understand this concept of faith here. Genesis 17. So it says in verse 1 of Genesis 17, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, you've got to remember this. In the Old Testament, names meant something. Now, generally in today's society, 21st century, the name that you and I choose for our kids or for what have you doesn't really carry that type of significance. We choose the name because we like the way the name sounds. Dawn and I have been going through uh, Strong's Concordance here trying to find a uh, name for the, the baby that's coming. We're trying to find a biblical name that we like, and you look through some of these names here, and you're trying to find it. You kind of look at what the word means, etc., but generally you're just picking it because you like that. And I don't even know how many of you even probably know what your name means. I don't even know. I looked my name up here before church started. You know what the name James means? Tall and handsome. So, <laughs> yeah. And don't you dare doubt God's word. I'm just telling you that right now. Um, Abram's name meant something. Abram's name meant exalted father. Good name, exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Good name. Here's the problem. When Abram became Abraham in Genesis 17 here at the age of 99, 
How many kids did he have? He had one, Ishmael, which even wasn't through Sarah, it was through Hagar, which we'll get to that in a little bit. So his wife Sarah and him had no kids together. And what's his name mean? Father of a multitude. So can you imagine, if you're in Abraham's position, you would go meet somebody for the first time. What's your name? My name is Abraham. Oh, Abraham, I know what that name means, father of a multitude. How many kids do you have? None. Well, then why are you Abraham? Well, God promised me 24 years ago I was going to have a lot of kids. Dude, you're 99. They probably didn't say dude. Um, you're, <laughs> you're, you're 99 years old, man. Your wife is 89. You're not having any kids. If you want to keep calling yourself Abraham, father of a multitude, that's fine. But you've got to let a little bit of reality to step in here. Imagine how difficult that had to be for Abraham. Father of a multitude. Can you imagine him going back to Sarah, his wife? Hey, I just had a conversation with God. Name change. Well, <laughs> what, what, what's your name now? Abraham, father of a multitude. Now think about this from Sarah's perspective. Don't you think Sarah wanted to have kids? She was 65 when she first comes on the scene. Now by 65, she'd probably reached a point where she thought her childbearing years were over. Never had a child. And so now they get this wonderful meeting with God. Abram, back in Genesis 12, comes back to Sarah and says, Guess what? God called me. I'm going to be the father of, the, of exceedingly great nations. My, my descendants will be multiplied. Don't you think Sarah's heart skipped a beat and was finally excited? 24 years passed. She still hasn't had a child yet. 24 years. In fact, when God repeats this promise to Sarah, we know what the Bible says. What does she do? She laughs. She went from believing at 65 to now at 89 saying, cruel joke. So Abram comes back at 99 and says, change the return address labels. My name's now Abraham. I don't know about you, but if, if my wife was Sarah and I was Abram, and I came home and I told my wife, hey, with my personality my wife has, I'm now Abraham. Tell him to look me in the eye and say, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. This is why it's an example of faith. It's because they still believe. Believe to the point, believe to the point here, check this out in Romans 4, that they're basically talking about their bodies being basically dead. Did you catch that in verse 19? And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. What a way to describe Sarah's womb. It was dead. Now, we're going to get to this in a little bit here. Of why did God wait 24, 25 years for this to happen? Well, it's not unheard of. It's not common, but it's not unheard of for, for ladies to have a baby in their 60s. It does happen. So if this would have happened right away, okay, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It gets a little article in the paper. 65-year-old woman has baby, first child. But for her to have a kid at 90, that's God. That's God. See, that's the point of what the Lord was doing here. It was him. Now, before we pat Abraham and Sarah on the back a lot, let's also be kind of honest. Because when I look at Abraham's life, there's a lot of things I notice about this. First off, he was called at 75. Do you know how many times I have people come up to me frustrated and upset that their life is a failure? I'm 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, fill in the blank, and I haven't done anything with my life. Abraham was 75 and hadn't done anything with his life. If God called him at 75 and still used him mightily. I don't care what age you're at right now, God can still call you and use you mightily. So at 75... Abraham finally had a calling and a purpose. So if you're sitting there right now looking at yourself in the mirror going, I'm whatever, at 30, at 40, at 50, at 60, God still has a calling and purpose for you. He does. I firmly believe that with all my heart. If you're a born-again believer in Christ, he has a purpose for your life. Abraham's purpose was not revealed until 75. Now, we'll get to the whole point of waiting 25 years for the kids. The problem is there's this little thing that happened when Abraham was 86. Well, about 10 years into the wait for the promised child, the promised child wasn't coming. So Sarah had this great idea. I got this maidservant. Her name is Hagar. Obviously, God's not moving quick enough for us. So Abraham, you and Hagar go together. You guys have a kid. So we'll at least get our kids somehow. 
So that's what happened. So at 86, Abraham went with Hagar, and that's how Ishmael came about. That wasn't the promised child. Now, the reason I bring this up is, has this ever happened to you? You have this great moment of peace and faith where the Lord is moving and working, and you're not doubting. But then days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And the truth of the matter is God's not moving quick enough for you. So you have a Hagar moment. Well, since God's not taking care of this, I've got to take care of this for myself. Well, obviously the Lord's not doing anything. I need to move on this. Guys, God is never in a hurry. Anytime we try to hurry up God, anytime we try to push the limits with the Lord, we always get ourselves into trouble. God is never in a hurry. There's a great teaching. I believe it's in um, 2 Samuel where David is getting ready to go into battle. And they're encouraging them to go, go, go into battle. And David says, I'm not going to go into battle until you hear the wind rustling through the trees, which was to him a sign that the Lord said it's now time to go. And I like that. Because how many times in life do we feel pushed by others, by circumstances, by situations, scenarios, where we feel like, okay, God, you're not moving quick enough. I've got to take the bull by the horns here. And then you have an Ishmael moment. You have a Hagar moment. Now think about this, though. Let's not pick on Sarah too much. Can you imagine, once again, put yourself in her perspective. 65 years, wanted to have a kid. I know when Dawn and I were trying to have kids, and it was a really difficult time, we would go through these horrible roller coasters of emotions, of where you would say, okay, maybe this is the month. This is the month where we're, we're finally going to get pregnant. So you would go, and you're excited. You take the pregnancy test. I mean, I don't know. If you would have went to our bathroom one time, there's probably 50 unused pregnancy tests, because we were just ready. And so you're ready for whatever's going to come. And so you would take the pregnancy test. You wait, you wait, you wait. It's not. Okay, well, we probably took it too early. So you wait a couple more days. No, nothing. Then you go through a couple weeks of just discouragement. Then the next month comes around. Hey, another shot here. Let's take, try and see. So you go through this horrible roller coaster, up, down, up, down. Can you imagine Sarah? God, okay, not some schmuck. God told her husband, you will have a multitude of descendants. Okay, she knows it's coming. Don't you think for a few months and years there was this excitement of this is the month? Ten years into nothing happened, Sarah finally had enough and said, forget this, go ahead, take Hagar, let's at least get a kid out of her. How many times do we do that with the Lord? Lord, you're not moving quick enough. Listen, Lord, I've been patient. I've waited. Lord, I have waited. I've had people tell me this before. They're facing a difficult situation. I say, you need to go pray about it. They come back. I prayed about it for a day. Nothing happened. Okay, well, Hagar here was ten years. See, Abraham was called late in life, which shows that no matter what age you're at or place you're at, God can still use you. Number two, we have little flesh moments, don't we? Or maybe 10 years into the program, God's not moving quick enough, so i got to move for him. Well, then you get an Ishmael out of it. Finally, finally, at 99 and at 89, it happens. Now, why did it wait so long? My personal opinion is the reason it waited so long is it took any chance of it being a fleshly thing out of it. It had to be God. It absolutely had to be God. And by the Lord waiting, it revealed it had to be him and him alone. It had to be. Which then takes us in here into Romans 4. Look at verse 20 one more time. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. I love verse 21. 21, you mark it, you underline it, you highlight it, and you circle it, and then you print it out and you put it on your refrigerator at home. That is a verse we have to remember. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith showed that God was still moving and working after 25 years. What can we learn from this? Verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Remember, imputed is a fancy term. It just means credited. It's a financial term. means credited to your account. So what we have here in verse 23, it was not just credited to him, but also for us. He's an example to us, verse 24. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up, 
because of our offenses, was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith and this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. See, what God is saying is, it worked for Abraham, verse 24, it works for us. It works for us, verse 24, through Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again, verse 25. So therefore, verse 1 of chapter 5, through faith in Christ, we now have peace with God. So just as Abraham was saved by faith, we're saved by faith. Just as Abraham did nothing to earn this salvation, we've done nothing to earn this salvation. That's the point that Paul is trying to make. Abraham is an example to us of saved by grace through faith alone, not anything that we've ever done. Now, I wish at this point... In verse 2, I could say, okay, Marv, come up for the final song. But I don't know who messed up. Either God messed up or Paul messed up because they put verse 3 in there. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces character and character perseverance. And and what? No, no, no. I don't want to read verse 3. I don't want to talk about glorying in tribulations. Can't we just end on a really nice message? The whole faith thing. You know, 25 years later, they had the baby, and it was just great, and it was Isaac, and can't we just all sing a song and go home? And then when you come back next week, I'll skip verses 3, 4, and 5. And then we'll just start right at verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died. See, that's good. But God had to mention this word tribulation in verse 3. Now, why did he mention tribulation? Because for 25 years, Sarah and Abraham were going through tribulation. Now, it's easy for us to look back 4,000 years ago and say, Wow, what a neat story. Called at 75. Not having a kid at 65. 25 years later, they have a baby at 90 and 100. Isn't God great? For 25 years, they suffered not having a child that was promised to them. Guys, that's tribulation. And some of you are going through tribulation right now. It was a struggle just to get up this morning, even with the extra hour. It was tough. Some of you are going to leave here today, and you're going to go to a job. That's tribulation. You're going to go home to a marriage. That's tribulation. You're going to go home with kids. That are tribulation. You will have tribulation. And one of the problems that we do in this world in Christianity today is we don't mention the T word. There's tribulation. And what happens is if you don't teach the full gospel of there's also trials in this life, people then don't know how to handle it. I love watching my kids play with balloons. They just love them. And and it's always a sad, shock, but funny moment the first time one of the younger ones plays with the balloon. Because Elias, Judah, and Kenan have played with balloons. They know what happens with the balloons. If you're too rough with it, pops. But I remember distinctly the first time Layden played with a balloon. And if you've ever seen a little kid with a balloon, they just think it's the greatest thing in the world. So little Layden is just playing with his balloon. And guess what happens? The balloon pops. Now first off, the noise scared him. Second off, life lesson shock. Sometimes balloons pop. Now, the reason I bring this up is some people get saved, walk with the Lord. All of a sudden, their balloon in life pops. They have no idea what to do. Why? No one's ever told them, Romans 5, 3, that you glory in tribulations. It's in there, guys. And if we had more time, I would go through all the verses where Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Not you might, not possible, but in this world you will have tribulation. We could go through passage after passage on this. Time does not permit us, so I just want to focus on a couple ones here real quick. Turn if you to 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. The purpose of these trials and tribulations are to train us. As we just read right there in Romans. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. Those trials and tribulations grow us. They help us persevere. They give us character. They build our character. And then eventually it gives us hope. 
1 Peter chapter 1. See, the goal is to build up your character in Christ. The only way you can build up your character in Christ is to go through difficult times. And once you've gone through those difficult times, you grow. I remember years ago, in, in, in the 12 years I've been out here serving as the pastor, I've seen a lot of stuff. And so now when someone goes through a difficult time, I can look them in the eye and say, listen, I know this is a trial for you. I know this is tough. But you know what? I know somebody a few years ago went through a really similar situation and the Lord got them through. Why? Because I've seen what the Lord has done. I've seen that in my life. Just, just here's a quick example. I remember years ago, I got a really nasty letter from somebody. Really nasty letter. And it just came to attention here recently because yesterday at the men's study, we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And we're almost to the passage in Nehemiah where Nehemiah starts relieving his nasty letters from Sanballat, if you remember the book of Nehemiah. And so what happens is the Sanballats start sending these letters to Nehemiah, and they're threatening letters, or mean letters, or nasty letters. Nehemiah just deals with it and moves on. But I remember the first time I got one of those letters, I had no idea what to do. It just floored me. My balloon popped. Someone doesn't like me. I'm a likable guy. How could someone not like me? They just don't know me well enough. That's the problem. And so got this letter, and they were just... Well, what's happened now, over the years, gotten a lot of letters. <laughs> a lot of people don't like me. Um, and I save them. I save those letters. I do. So, full circle, I just got one yesterday of someone doesn't like me. And I, and I went up and I said, Rose, don't write me a letter. You can come up and tell me. You can tell me. Is Rose even in here? Oh, hi, Rose. So, no, I got one yesterday. Someone really ticked about stuff and bothered about stuff. Did it floor me? No. Why? Because I'm super Christian? Of course not. Because I've been through Romans 5, verse 3. I've been through that tribulation. I persevered through that tribulation. My character has grown through that tribulation. I have hope. It's not the end of the world. And you know what? I'm going to get more nasty letters. I know it. Now, that doesn't mean to sound like, oh, okay, I got it all figured out. No. I, I've been through it. That's what God is trying to say. Is when you go through those difficult times, you've been through it. Your character has been strengthened. And as you go through those strengthening character trials, you walk out of it stronger. I mean, seriously, stop and think about it. I mean, we can use any example you want. Any example you want. First time moms. First time that kid gets sick, your world just breaks. I remember now with us, with having four and another one on the way, we've reached a point now where it's like, yep, they're going to throw up, get them on some linoleum. And just, just, just not on the carpet. Just not on the carpet. Just, you've been through it. Character produces hope. And see, and so that's the point about trials and tribulations. God tries to tell you. I mean, he has warned us. Guys, they're coming. But then we're still floored when they hit. Look here. Look here at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You've heard us teach on this before. This have everything we need to know. First off, rejoicing through trials? Come on. You rejoice because you realize what comes out of it at the end is worthwhile. But look, it's only for a little while. Only for a little while. Now some of you may be stopping and thinking, okay, that's not true. I've had this trial now, and it's been going on for a long time. How long has it been going on? Days, maybe. Days compared to maybe living 70, 80, 90 years is nothing. It's just a little while. Well, my trial has been going on for months. Sorry, months compared to 70, 80, 90 years. It's really only a little while. Fine. My trial has been going on for decades. Ah, decades compared to all of eternity is really only a little while. Whatever trial you're facing, it's really only a little while. In the whole scheme, generally of life, but more importantly in the whole scheme of eternity. And we don't think about that in the middle of it. But that's the way it is, is it's really only a little while in the whole scheme of things. Now, look at the next one. Now, we don't like this one either. For a little while, if need be. Wait, I need this? I need to go through difficult times? Yeah, sometimes God says you need to go through difficult times. Well, why? Why, Lord? Well, be, maybe you're spiritually slipping a little bit. God needs to get your attention. Well, that sounds mean. I don't think that sounds mean. I think that sounds really loving. 
I'm going to get your attention before it gets too bad. Or maybe God's looked at you a little bit and said, you know, those spiritual muscles that used to be pretty strong in prayer and in word and service and in fellowship, those muscles have gotten a little flabby. You need to work those muscles out a little bit. God says, I see the big picture. And so since I see the big picture, I know what you need to go through. And I need to trust him that he allows these trials to happen. And they're only for a little while, if need be. Listen to this passage here out of 2 Corinthians. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Listen to that one more time. Our light affliction, guys, it's light, which is only for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. God says in the whole scheme of eternity, it's worth it. And why is it worth it? Well, before we get to the point why it's worth it, look at this word again once again in verse 6. If need be, you have been grieved. Who's ever said it was easy? I, 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 I don't know for sure. We could go back and listen to 14 years of the messages I've done out here. I don't think I've ever tried to present Christianity as easy. If anything, I think we say if you're looking for something easy, don't be a Christian. There's difficult times in Christianity. And this is, I think, part of the problem is sometimes we don't present that truth that you will have difficult times in life. You will be grieved for a little while by various trials and tribulations in your life. You will be. But the problem is when we're grieved is, is how do we handle it? How do we handle it? Well, the way we're supposed to handle it is verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The point and purpose of it is when you get through these trials, which are supposed to be a stronger walk with Christ. That's the point. Job has a great passage in Job 23 where he says, When I have been tested by the fire, I will come out purer than gold and silver. He saw the big picture at that moment. Now, when you're going through a tough time, do we see the big picture that the Lord is going to use this? Let's just be honest. Most of the time we're going through trials and tribulations. It's not praise God. It's like, Lord, make it stop. See, Peter is saying, Paul is saying, James says in James 1, Jesus said, These trials and tribulations serve a purpose. So when you look at Abraham and Sarah... It's really easy to focus on blessed answered prayer 25 years later. That is, that's amazing. But that also means 25 years of a trial and tribulation, that they stayed faithful to God during that difficult time. So I wonder how many of us here today are going through trial and tribulation. That's a struggle. Maybe you've reached the point where you're ready to give up and you're ready to quit. God says, don't. It's worth it. He goes, hang in it through the end, and it's only a light affliction for a moment. I know at this time it doesn't seem that way. But it's really a momentary light affliction in the whole scheme of eternity where God says, I will use this later on, and you have to trust me. And he uses the example of Abraham and Sarah as an example of someone says, okay, Lord, we will trust you through the tribulation. Because we realize the tribulation produces perseverance that then produces character, which then produces hope. God says it works. On the way out to church this morning, I was listening to the radio, and I heard a song that I've never heard before. It was a really good song. And, and I wanted to try to figure out some of the lyrics of it because I wanted to share it here this morning. So as I'm driving to church, I got one hand on the wheel, the other hand on my phone trying to write this stuff down. And I realized this is really stupid. Um, so I stopped, and I thought, okay, I'm going to try to remember this song. And it was really neat because once the song got done, there must have been a mistake on their part, a mistake I should put in quotes, because they played the same song again. So I got to hear it twice. So I came out here to church, and, and I, I printed off some of the lyrics. And I just want to read you some of these lyrics here because it really hit home with what we're talking about today about trusting the Lord during dark times. It says, when we pray for blessings, excuse me, it says, we pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. 
We pray for healing, for our prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while, you hear each spoken need that love us way too much to give us lesser things. And the chorus says, Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? I really like that. Then it says, We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear, and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise from your word is not enough. All the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we've had faith to believe. It says, when friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds his heart that this is not, this is not our home. It is not our home. Then it finishes with this. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or this aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? I like that. Listen to that one more time. And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? See, once again, folks, we try to run from these trials and tribulations and difficult times. And the truth of the matter is God says, I use them. He goes, I use them. So maybe we need to stop and realize, okay, Lord, I need to stop and realize you're going to use this in my life. I may not agree with it. I may not like it. I may not like how you're doing it. But I trust, Lord, that this tribulation will produce a perseverance in me, which will then produce a character in me, which will then give me hope to get through the difficult times. Marv, if we come forward here for the final song. What I want to finish with today is this. As Marv is doing the final song, I wanted to get around to all of you and shake your hands as much as possible. It's always good to see everybody here. Um, but what I really felt led to finish with today is I want to finish with a time of prayer. And uh, while Marv's doing the final song, if people want to come up and pray, they can uh, you know, pop up and pray here. And uh, we'll be up here to pray with you. And if, if I'm praying in the back, Marv will close us out with a word of prayer. Um, real quick, is Rich in here or is he teaching today?